Hi, I'm Richard Byrne, and welcome to episode number 29 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. I can't believe I've done 29 of these things now, or 28 going on 29 of these things now. But today is January 17th, 2020. I'm recording in my classroom at Oxford Hills Comprehensive High School slash MVR11 slash SAT17. we got a lot of names for ourselves. Anyway, this is my classroom where I am teaching computer science this year. And let's get right into some news and notes from the week that was in technology and ed tech in general. So first up, Vimeo released a new video creation tool. Vimeo is well known for their high definition video hosting. Now they have a video editing tool that you can use to make videos for social media or any other little thing you'd like to do. They've got a bunch of templates or you can work from scratch. Just have to sign up with your Vimeo account and away you go and you can start making all kinds of videos and you can see if you're watching the video of the video version of this podcast you can see some of the templates that I have on the screen right there or again make up your own. Now if you're watching, if you're listening to the podcast for this, just go to Vimeo.com and you can try out their new video maker. Next up, there's a new Chrome, ex- uh, I shouldn't say Chrome extension, a Chrome feature called the Chrome Media Hub. And this is a little add-on, or again, it's not really an add-on, it's built into the latest version of Chrome and it will let you control the videos and audio that's playing in the background or the background tabs in Chrome. I probably just butchered the explanation of that. So let me try again. Chrome Media Hub is built into the latest version of Chrome for Windows, Mac, and of course for Chromebooks. And it lets you manage the media that plays in the back in the background tabs when you have multiple tabs open in Chrome. So that's what that does. Speaking of Google, Google has released originality reports for all users of Google Classroom now. It was a beta feature that launched back in August. It's now available beginning next week to all users. The limitation being you can only use it on three assignments if your school uses the free version of Google Classroom or the free version, I should say, of G Suite for Education. There is also a G Suite for Education Enterprise version. A lot of people don't realize this. There is a paid version of G Suite for Education called the Enterprise version. That version gives you unlimited original reports. The free version, the version that most of us are using, limits you to three originality reports. So there's that. Screencastify, which is a Massively popular screencasting program came out with a great update this week. That update has removed the watermark from your videos that you make using Screencastify's free version. So previously, if you used the free version of Screencastify, it put a watermark on your video. They also used to limit you to 50 videos per month, which for most of us was more than enough anyway. But they've removed that limitation. So they removed the watermark. They removed the number of videos you can make in a month. 
And they added in some additional video editing tools in the free version. And they added some new ways to share your videos and the option to download your video as MP4 as well as MP3 format. So some great updates to the free version of Screencastify make it really worth uh, checking out if you haven't looked at it in a while. The only limitation really to the free plan is that your videos can only be five minutes long, which again is probably more than adequate for most people making screencast style videos. And if you need the paid version, the paid version is still relatively affordable. National Public Radio, NPR, has released a student podcast contest or a student podcast challenge that again invites students to record podcasts of up to 12 minutes, minimum of four minutes, up to 12 minutes, record a podcast about any topic that they want. It can have more than one voice on it. It doesn't have to be just one person talking. This year, they're allowing you to include music, but the music must be the original work of a student. So it can't be anything you find you know, on any number of audio sources online has to be original work by a student if it's going to be included. The other thing to note about the NPR pod, student podcast challenge is that you as the teacher have to enter on the student's behalf by uploading the student's recording to SoundCloud, which means you have to create your own SoundCloud account and upload it on the student's behalf. I made a video about how to do that. You can find that on my YouTube channel if you're not familiar with SoundCloud. Uh, some other news that's not necessarily ed tech, just tech. Uh, article from the BBC that I read this morning. Uh, the EU Parliament, or the European Parliament, wants to force electronics manufacturers, specifically phone manufacturers like Apple and Samsung, to adopt a standard for chargers, that they all have to use the same type of charger. The idea being not so much consumer protection, but environmental protection in that there'll be fewer chargers going to landfills and uh, everyone will have the same standard because every time you get a new phone, you want to get a new, st new style of charger. Now, fortunately for a lot of us who use Android phones, most Android manufacturers or most companies using Android manufacturing phones uh, have gone to USB-C. Uh, the article that I read said it may also encourage more wireless charging. That's an interesting piece. Uh, Windows 7 is officially gone, or officially deprecated now. If you're still using Windows 7, you have probably got a big, huge warning across your screen. I was, walked by a Windows 7 computer on Wednesday and saw the big, huge warning on the screen. It said Windows 7 is no longer supported. Uh, if you've waited this long to switch from Windows 7 to Windows 10, you waited too long, uh, you can still do it. You can still do it. But... Don't go online to the Windows 7. Not going to be good. Okay. All kinds of security vulnerabilities you're opening yourself up to if you do that. So, if you're still on Windows 7, upgrade to Windows 10. Do it now. Before it's too late. Alright, so, you can do that. And on the topic of Windows, next week is the BET conference in London or the BET show in London. I've gone six years, six of the last seven years, and unfortunately I'm not going to be able to go this year. I'm really bummed about not being able to go this year, but that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So 
Uh, but I did get some advanced news from my contact at Microsoft, Mike Tolson, who sent me over uh, a big long email about all kinds of stuff they're releasing next week. Some of it I can tell you about now, some of it I can't tell you about now. Uh, the stuff that I can tell you about now is up on the Microsoft Education blog, and that includes some new OneNote live captioning features, uh, an updated version of Microsoft Edge, and some new partners for Immersive Reader. So more third-party services are using Immersive Reader, including KidBlog, uh, which is a popular blogging platform. And there's a new video recording tool called Microsoft Stream that will be rolling out and will provide searchable transcripts in eight languages. A lot more about that will be available next week. When I record next week's podcast, I can tell you a lot more about all that. But if you want a little preview, head to educationblog.microsoft.com and you can get a little preview of what's coming up at BET next week. I'm sure there'll be lots of other cool news by this time next Friday because the BET show is kind of like the European equivalent of ISTE. A little bit more trade showy and a little less conferency. Uh, the part that I'm really bummed about missing this year is Teach Meet Bet, which is always a great time. So if you're going, please take notes and let me know. And last little news and notes, Next Vista for Learning, which I love, nextvista.org, run by Rushton Hurley. If you get a chance to see Rushton speak somewhere, do it. Uh, but nextvista.org has launched a new student video creation contest. It's actually a contest for students as well as teachers. It's three categories, student contest, teacher contest, and student-teacher collaboration. Check that out, little video contest. And while we're talking about videos, shameless commerce division of my life. Starting January 30th, I'm going to teach an online course, video projects for almost every classroom. I believe in truth in advertising, so I say almost every classroom, because there's always an exception to the rule. But the vast majority of classrooms, 90% of classrooms, can do the projects that we're going to talk about in the course. Go to practicaledtech.com, and you can get more information about that. All right. So some thoughts and reflections from the week that was. On Wednesday, I spoke at Amarillo College's ACES conference, which is their uh, kind of back-to-school or new semester conference for their instructors. Uh, so their Amarillo College instructors, uh, adjunct and full-time faculty, were there. About 200 or so faculty members were there. Uh, and I gave it. I gave my my presentation on built to last, what works in educational technology. Uh, and looked at kind of a long term view of the last decade or so of educational technology tools and why some stick around and why some don't stick around, and which ones are worth your investing your time in and how to figure that out. It was a fun talk. I enjoy I enjoyed giving the talk. A lot of people laughed. A lot of people said that they picked up some new things. So I was happy about that. More importantly, for me anyway, was seeing L.T. Reese Miles speak. Uh, L.T. Reese Miles works at UCLA, and she is in charge of, I forget what the actual her actual title is, but basically she's in charge of uh, transitions and first-generation college students and making sure first-generation co first college students are successful. And her talk was about the hidden curriculum. 
just a, and the talk was, was really great in that it pointed out some of the many things that first-generation college students face when coming to college that a lot of us who are not first-generation college students or were first-generation college students and completely forgot about in the ensuing 25 years, uh, there's a lot of pieces that they don't, that students just don't understand because they are first-generation college students. I'm probably, I, I am totally butchering uh, <laughs> the, the summary of her talk, but really it was about, you know, why first-generation college students need some help just understanding some things that second-generation or third-generation college students don't necessarily need need the help with. Uh, you know, just things like navigating who should come to orientation and who doesn't come to orientation, or how long is orientation, uh, and other uh, kind of norms that are norms that are not necessarily expressed, and we assume everyone knows. So it was a great talk. Uh, she recommended some, some various books. I found it very enlightening as someone who works in a school where there's a lot of students who will be first-generation college students, uh, and, so, and in some cases will be first-generation high school graduates as well. A lot of what she said applies to high school. Uh, so check out LT Resmiles. She's on Twitter. You'll find all her links. Uh, all her, her links are there. Check it out. LT Resmiles. Uh, Latanya Resmiles. R-E-A-S-E. So Reese with an A in it. Uh, check it out. And I'm hoping to get her on the podcast in the next month or so to talk some more about this topic. Uh, school was canceled here on Thursday. Snowed out. Of all the days to have snowed out, that was probably the best day to have snowed out because that's the day that I have uh, the fewest students. And they're my year three students who are well prepared for next week's tech challenge our big showcase here my sophomores and my sophomores however are a little bit more nervous uh, i just wrapped up that's so why i'm still sitting in my classroom i just wrapped up coaching a lot of them on giving presentations and refining some of their slides for their presentations like i said a lot of my students are technically very sound but need a little bit of coaching on giving presentations like a lot of high school students they're not unique in that way so fortunately i have a lot of practice giving presentations despite how poorly i may be butchering this podcast at the moment all right so let's talk about some questions and answers from readers and listeners and viewers like you so a question from maria hi i'm working with students using tor creator is there not a way for two students to work on the same tour? When I shared the link, the other student only gets to view the tour option, not the edit button. Thank you, Maria. So, Maria, unfortunately, there's not that option in Google's VR tour creator. There is, however, in Google Earth, the latest version of Google Earth, the web browser version of Google Earth, there is the option to collaborate on tours that you make in Google Earth. So... If it's not a tour that has to be done in virtual reality, uh, check out Google the latest version of Google Earth for your web browser, and that might be a good alternative option. So try that. Uh, and speaking of Google Earth, this next question came from Mike. 
Richard, I'm confused on the value of using Google Earth for history classes. It seems like it's just a group of visuals that could be downloaded from a lot of other places. Can you help me understand its utility better? Thanks in advance, Mike. So, I wrote back to Mike and said, this is not something I could explain in a tweet. He, he tweeted me the question, or I should say DM'd me the question. Uh, then put it on Twitter publicly, uh, DM'd me the question. So, here's the thing about Google Earth particularly in history classes, and I used it in my history class. And I'll start with the example from a student I had many years ago. I'd say it was probably 2009-2010 school year, right around there. Uh, I was teaching a group of students who were all in special education for various reasons, and they were all in my history class. It was a history class. All the kids were in special education. I co-taught it with, another, with a special education teacher. It was a fun class. I really enjoyed the class. But anyway, uh, I had a student whose name is eluding me at the moment, younger, small student, I remember that, he was small in stature, uh, height, I mean, not, like, not a small person, anyway. uh, and here's the, the thing about Google Earth that, that really kind of hooked me in, on its power. We were studying the American Revolution, at the beginning of the school year, we were studying the American Revolution, sequence of events, sequence of events in the in the American Revolution. And I used, what I did is I had students go into Google Earth and they made little place markers in Google Earth to create the sequence of events, sequence of battles, and they geolocated all of them and then wrote in a little, a little blurb on each one of those events. So the little place marker, for example, Battle of Bunker Hill. Put it on the map on Google Earth, write in their little blurb, include a they went to YouTube and included some videos. You can include a video link in there. Great little deal, right? They had to do 10 different events. Yeah. Starting at the beginning of the American Revolution and the end of the American Revolution. Uh, anyway. Point being, at the end of that unit, all my students at that time, all my students had to take the same test. All students in social studies had to take the same test at the end of the unit, regardless of whether you were in special education or you were in AP. Actually, AP was their own thing. But special education or honors or anywhere else ought to take the same unit test. My student, my little guy, gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Let's call him Travis. I know it's not right, but we'll call him Travis for now. Uh, came up to me after the test. He said, Mr. Burnt, I know I got that section right. I'm like, how do you know? Because I could see it. I'm like, what do you mean you could see it? I could see all those markers in my head as I went through. I'm like, oh, that really sunk in for me. Because he was able to just scroll as he was reviewing for that exam, that little test. You know, we scrolled through them on our whiteboard, or projector, I should say. Uh, we scrolled, it wasn't a wasn't interactive whiteboards, it was a projector. But anyway, scroll through all of them in his head. We had scrolled through them on the board. He scrolled through them on the in his head. Did really well on the on that little exam. Um, so that was the first thing. I'm getting long-winded in this. Some of the other things about Google Earth that I think are really powerful: overlaying historical imagery on top of current imagery. Yes, you could do that with you know two historic images if you wanted to but google earth builds in a lot of those files for you so if you go to google earth, the desktop version of google earth you can 
look at historical maps and overlay them on top of current views all in one place. I really think the idea of make have having students make tours where they can click from place to place to place in a sequence of events is a really powerful, really powerful tool as well. It's kind of like making a timeline, except it's a multimedia timeline where you can include video, where you can include an audio, where you can include additional images on top of the locations and put in dates as well. That's why I think it's that's why I think it's better than just going and downloading visuals from from the web somewhere. But your mileage may vary, but I think it's a really powerful tool. If you haven't tried it, try it. Uh, you know, if you've tried it and it hasn't worked for you, okay. But if you haven't tried it, give it a shot. I really think it's a much more powerful tool than just downloading visuals. And the last question came from Nicole, who wrote, "Hello from Texas." A friend said she got to see you in Amarillo. She did. I would have loved to come. Is there a place on your site to know where you are presenting next? If it's close, I know people, secondary teachers, would like to learn from you in person. Hopefully you'll be in our area again. Thanks in advance, Nicole. So, Nicole, I don't do nearly as much speaking as I used to, so I don't have a place on my web on any of my websites right now where I publish a list of where I'm going to be just because I'm not going to be very many places. Uh, I do at most about one thing a month these days. A lot of that is because I'm teaching full-time. A lot of that is because I'm raising two toddlers at home as well. Uh, that said, if you're interested in having me come to your school, particularly in the summertime or during uh, you know, vacation weeks or whatever, uh, mostly during summertime, <laughs> if you're interested in having me come to your school, I am more than happy to do that. I make house calls. Uh, and I also offer online webinars as well. Uh, maybe maybe in the coming years when my kids get a little bit older, I'll do more events. But as it is right now, I do about, do about one event a month. And most of them are school-based things. They're not open to the public or open registration uh, events. So, uh, so that's why I don't have it published on my website anywhere. But if you're interested in having me come somewhere, I'll be there. Uh, if you do want to learn with me in person, and you're willing to travel a little bit, I will have a summer workshop in Bethel, Maine, July 13th and 14th. Practical EdTech Summer Camp, July 13th and 14th in Bethel, Maine. I'll have registration details available on that in about a week. Contract is signed. Dates are set. Location is set. I just got to get all the registration stuff all squared away. So that's that. Well, that's another episode of the Practical EdTech Podcast. Thank you for listening. The 150 or so of you that listen every week, I truly appreciate it. If you have questions for me, feel free to send me an email. Richard at burn.media is my email address. And for those of you who are watching the video, I promise I'll wear a different shirt next week. I've worn the same shirt two Fridays in a row. I'll wear a different shirt next week when I record. Thanks, everyone. and Have a great weekend.